Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and unapologetically owning way too many coats, considering I never go outside. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese and whiskey, and of course, leadership. And I'm Kendall Miller. Snow is falling, and it's beautiful outside, and someday this virus will be under control, and human interaction will be possible again Woo-hoo! in real life, not just via podcast, and I'm excited about that. <laughs> and today on the show, we're talking with Lena Reinhardt, VP of Product Engineering at Circle CI. Thanks for being on the show, Lena. Thank you for having me. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, as we uh, as we often do, we'll just dive right in. Please tell us about your path to leadership. How did you get where you are? So I didn't expect to get where I am. It's probably <laughs> the best way to put it for starters. Um, so I have a very rich background, what people now call like a cross-functional background, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had my first career in finance um, and was working in the arts world uh, in parallel at the time and transitioned into media at some point, eventually landed in tech. And what kind I of wasn't arts? Even at the leadership and... part yet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, what kind of arts were you involved in? And what does it mean in, fi- in finance? Like, were you an accountant or were you working on, uh, you know, investments? And then what kind of art? Um, so the art stuff I'll start with because that was more fun. Um, I've been a writer for a very long time. I used to write short stories, poems, those kinds of things. Oh. I did briefly dabble in journalism. There is a stint in my career where I have worked in um, classic car journalism specifically. I don't know much wow. about cars, but I wrote about them for <laughs> somewhat at least to subsidize my living. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I do still do some artsy things. So like anything creative really is a really important part of who I am and what matters to me. I've realized, especially over the last year, that basically creativity or the creative process in all the meanings of the world, and so the creation process specifically, is really important to me feeling happy. Um, mm-hmm. It's a good yeah. realization to get to. And so um, last year has brought a lot of terrible things to many people. But one good thing that it's brought for me was that it brought me back to painting specifically. Ooh. And so um, I've been doing a lot of that again. I've never done any of that professionally. I'm no good. I have no interest in doing it professionally, but it's a, <laughs> it's important and a good thing. What about, what about when you're delivering bad news to a report? I mean, can't you come up with creative ways to deliver? That's probably not quite the same. Um, it's probably worth noting since this is a podcast that Kendall did air quotes around the creative. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, uh, probably um, worth it. Sure. Like, I, I think, I mean, there, I think <laughs> the joke aside, I think there is some truth to that. I do think, um, not even in terms of delivering bad news creatively, that's probably not the best <laughs> This part of it, but um, I mean, like the thing is, my job is finding solutions to big problems and often hard problems and problems that, sure, some people have solved in different scenarios for their teams and organizations, but we haven't necessarily solved them for where we are at with our team at this moment in time. And yeah. um, so there is a there is a major creative part of it, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So I'm sorry. I, I interrupted. So go back. So, <laughs> okay. so you uh, studied, did you study, uh, you studied first finance and did you actually study also, uh, painting and, and the art that you're interested in? 
So I haven't, I haven't studied. I've, I've dabbled in a few semesters of studying twice, but never actually went past that. Oh, sorry, not even semesters, a few months. Um, so that's <laughs> the extent of that. Um, the finance part, I did an apprenticeship, like a German system where you do like three years of training um, on the job and also visit school at the same time. And so I worked um, as a bank clerk and then basically financial consultant for a couple of years and, and quit my first career at a really young age and moved on. Wow. Oh, but what yeah. made you decide to do that? Like, yeah, let's, let's hear about this turning point in your, in your, in your life path here. Um, I, I wasn't happy with it and I wasn't even seeking happiness from my job necessarily, but it was a job where I, I remember this day when I'd looked at, so I worked at a, um, company with basically publicly visible compensation uh, or at a, at a bank with publicly visible mm -hmm. compensation. And so basically I looked at a table that had compensation information for basically the remainder of my career there outlined. <laughs> and so I looked at that and um, I was in my early twenties at the time and saw what I would make on a month by month basis at the age of 67 and did the math and thought, oh, this is 45 years from now. And then it, I remember that it really hit me like a break. I was like, I, I don't think I can do this for another 45 years. Uh -huh. yeah. Like it wasn't so much the money. It was just the idea of yeah. having the same job for this exactly. long kind of thing. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the money totally was, like, was good. It was, I made it made a decent living. Yeah. Um, but the prospect of just sticking with this. And I had great colleagues. I really enjoyed a lot of the work. It was really challenging, um, especially because I had a large client base and a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's money. And so a lot of people have really major issues with it and are struggling to get by and so I think it also just the interpersonal level it was a really interesting and also challenging job but just mm -hmm. something where I knew I couldn't keep going with this and so okay. I yeah so what did you decide to do then <laughs> I didn't know <laughs> so um I quit and um I had also gone through a period of burnout at the time and was really in a bad in a place where I had to figure out what to do next um I ended up um, basically living with some friends for a couple months in Vienna and being able to kind of re restructure myself. And I then applied to go to school again because I'd left school before getting essentially the college qualifying um, degree in mm -hmm. Germany. It's called the Abitur. And um, so I had applied to basically do the two years of school, full-time school again to get there and then ended up, that's how I landed in Berlin, Germany, and um, started going to school again in my early 20s for two years full time. Oh, and okay. um, basically wanted to pursue that degree. I remember now what the question was, wanted to pursue the degree <laughs> to, to open up more opportunities for myself to just do whatever I wanted, because I'd also considered going to art school and getting an art degree. But even for that, I needed the college entry requirements um, mm. fulfilled. And uh, yeah, went to school, um, started working in a startup on the side after working like in a cafe and working at the supermarket checkout. And that was my first startup job. And I kept that through basically getting the degree, then signed up for university. But the startup job was much more interesting. And here <laughs> I am. What role was that? <laughs> yeah, were you, what were you writing doing? code or was it something else? No, I wasn't writing code. So um, the company hired me to be a copywriter for their website. Oh, cool. That's where the writing background came in again. Um, a friend of mine was there as a product manager. I had no idea what a product manager does. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a lot of people they, still don't, to be honest, including product <laughs> managers. <laughs> probably a fair, fair statement. And um, they'd 
um, they were looking for someone to redo the copy on their website. It was really small start, small startup, I think six people at the time. And I got the job and it was just a two weeks gig. But at the end of the two weeks, they offered me a full-time contract as a marketing mm-hmm. and key account manager. <laughs> it's nicely it's done. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm like patting myself on the shoulder here. Um, possibly not did good. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't know what that meant even or really a lot about marketing or key account management. <laughs> Um, but I stuck with the company for I think two and a half years and um, ended up like helping with the project management because it was also a pretty small software engineering team that's also that was my first touch point like working with developers and figuring out how to get deliverables to a few of our customers keep our customers happy that was also um, my first encounter with uh, the not so very nice sides of the tech industry Um, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm then I, I think I just grew a lot on the job and uh, had a lot of fun also. And well, yeah, that's how I landed here. Well, and I mean, from there, you have you have a whole bunch of leadership positions and even, you know, running companies. And so talk a little bit about like, what was your first role in leadership? What were all the things you were learning the hard way? Did you get on the job training? I mean, what, what did the beginning of this look like for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've always been really driven. <laughs> In case that didn't come across, Sounds like it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and so a lot has honestly often been learning on the job. And so my my very first leadership position, like formal leadership position, was I think with the company I co-founded. Um, so <laughs> I had to start a company to get a job as a leader there. Yeah, I mean it's it's one way to build your own opportunities. Yeah. Um, so um, I had gotten involved into a bunch of open source work and working with some um, open source communities and community building. And I think that's how I learned a lot about and specifically, you know, it was distributed teams, quote unquote, um, mm-hmm. and people working together on a joint purpose. And I sort of then say all of that segued into me meeting the people who would become my co-founders and then us eventually founding a company together. I hadn't even wanted to become a co-founder, but kind of they sort of well, they didn't talk me into it, but they suggested um, <laughs> that I do that. And um, I became a CEO and one of the co-founders also had the CEO role, but we're basically both able to act independently. And that was uh, interesting because we were we were five co-founders. Um, I was the one with the business background and mm. um, the other four were all and still are all engineers. And um, we had, we were bootstrapped. We had to figure out how to get this business off the ground. We also had employees, um, I think two or three relatively early on. And um, so there was a lot about, you know, the one side of essentially running the company, doing the taxes, the finances, being personally liable for anything that happens. And at the same time, also building a team, getting clients, figuring out how we were going to not just pay for us, but then also the employees we we had. And with that, basically, I had this for, first formal leadership position. And with that, also quickly transitioned into one project that we worked on with an NGO where I built my first engineering team, I think six months after becoming CEO. What was the, I mean, there was a lot of hard things about that, but what stands out to you as being the biggest challenge? Um, I think, I think the, the first part honestly was, and I only realized that many years later as you do, um, Mm -hmm. but the, the first part was really that I didn't have any training. I had, 
I mean, honestly, I had no idea what I was doing. I think I was being the best boss that I could be at the time, uh-huh. but there was a lot of having to figure it out on the fly. Like we had, especially then with this engineering team, we grew the team from like six to I think over 30 people in under four months. Um, and we're working oh. in the Ebola outbreak response or to support the outbreak response in West Africa at the time. And it was incredibly stressful. Like there was... Like, there was a lot of just psychological stress on everyone on our teams we were working. So we had one team here in Berlin um, for, for this client that we were working for. And then the other teams were distributed across West Africa, the majority in Nigeria. But we also always had product managers and a few engineers on the ground in Sierra Leone, Liberia and Guinea. And so it was a major, it was a large distributed team. It wasn't, yeah. the stakes were probably, they couldn't have been higher. <laughs> And um, we were trying to figure out how to build software and all that and also build, do that in a way that we're not burning everyone out at the same time. Right. And it I wasn't just, just some app either. It was like people's lives depended on what you were doing. Or at least, or at least people's ability to like manage this this pandemic mm-hmm. better on the ground. Ooh. And so um, I think, yeah, the biggest one that I, I basically approached it from leading intuitively, mm-hmm. which... Mm-hmm. I worked out in some way and that's a really it feels like a really bad thing to say because it also sounds like we had no idea what we were doing we had a lot of really smart people on the teams which mm-hmm. was incredibly helpful um and i mean i approached it with a lot of you know empathy and gut instinct and doing the best that we could knowing everything that we did about the situation we were working a lot with you know international governments and ngos and really high stake stakeholders. And so juggling all of that, I had a really good boss at the time who I had a good relationship with, which also helped a ton. But yeah, so basically for me, the the main realization in all that eventually was that I, I had to move from leading like, intrinsically and through what I just figured out intuitively to understanding that there's frameworks, there's precedent, there's people who've done things before. <laughs> there's all this history that you can at least pull on and then either say, well, this works for me or like with many management books, honestly say that doesn't work for me and I'm going to have to figure out based on these anti-patterns how I want to be as a leader. Um, and that was a yeah. big learning because it also eventually I I had to leave that team after I have to think probably nine months or something. Um, we had make, moved on in parts just to other projects, but I was also like basically burnt out um, because, and I do think yeah. obviously a lot is also the environment and I don't blame my past self for that, but I think not having frameworks or so that I can rely on basically having to pull it kind of out of thin air yeah. and out of myself is a lot. For it took a all the load on you and uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, were you... Were you getting along with those five co? I mean, there's five co-founders, so four others, I guess. Were you all mm-hmm. getting along, or was that a part of the stress as well? I mean, that's that. I, nor- normally, two co-founders is one too many for the personal relationships. <laughs> uh, five is a lot for sure. You can get a lot done with five people too. So, well, yeah. maybe if you're not fighting the whole time. I mean, what was it like? <laughs> that's true. So we got along really well, and we're still friends today. Um, uh-huh. So well I did. Done. That's, yeah, that's thank huge. you. Thank Sorry, keep going. <laughs> it took work. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I think that honestly, at first, because we were all working for this, for this, or um, with this client, the the setup also meant that we were so focused on this larger purpose. There wasn't really time for any BS or personal animosities or like anything, because it just, if you're working on something like that and you're a white person living in a, 
um, city mm -hmm. somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere and you're leading a pretty good life and you're working on supporting people in pandemic. I mean, there's just, yeah, the there, there's no way. Helpful. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I think that that was one factor we did. So I did end up leaving the company after almost two years, um, like basically both stopped being a CEO and then also left as a co-founder just because I realized that I wanted different things. Um, in the same way as some some point people in relationships realize they've kind of grown <laughs> apart. Uh, I think sure. that's what happened because I'd also honestly I'd I'd realized I enjoyed these types of leadership roles, building larger teams, running organizations, maybe even even though that was still far out of reach. At least it felt like that at the time. Um, whereas the my my other co-founders wanted to focus much more on basically a small sustainable business that could support a few employees and have like interesting projects, build applications. We had we'd had our own. Um, software that we'd built for a while as well, which is just a very different kind of need and different thing to want from a business. Yeah, so the lifestyle. Where, yeah. yeah, but so we didn't we didn't kind of leave in in fight. We just kind of grew apart, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, that's right. great. Well, so so where'd you go next? What's after this? I mean, that's an intense first leadership gig. You learned a lot from it. You also you weren't. Most first leadership gigs are like leading a team of three and you were leading something big and international and complicated. And I mean, you know, so where did you go next and what scratches the itch after that? <laughs> Was it that? as hard? <laughs> yeah. I feel like big international and complicated is kind of a good summary of what I've done in my career since. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna use like can't you do these these headlines in LinkedIn or something? Or yeah. I'll put it on a tagline on as a tagline on my website. Big international um, complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, like oh, this is finally someone putting it into a nutshell for me. Um, <laughs> so um I, I took a break. Um i yeah, I worked in, in media for a little while. Um as kind of at, at the transition of that. That's how I got to stint at BuzzFeed and learned how to write really catchy headlines. Also yeah, helpful. And, oh yeah. <laughs> Don't estimate the power of a good listicle. <laughs> my stance at least. Um so <laughs> And then I um, I just started applying for engineering manager positions um, because I realized that I like working with engineers. I love building engineering teams. And I'd, in the meantime, at least, yeah, I'd learned one or two hard lessons. And I ended up, well, and I'd already worked a bit in the developer tooling space because my own company, the tool that we developed was a dependency management tool, um, hmm. Greenkeeper, which is in the meantime um, kind of been... Think acquired. Don't you remember? Oh, yeah. the but Still around. <laughs> I think so yeah, Great. to some to some degree. And um, we so basically, yeah, developer tooling and developer productivity and enablement had kind of been intriguing to me in terms of just the impact that you get to have. And so I eventually landed at Travis CI um, okay. as an engineering manager, uh, which was which was good. I still remember the interview rounds, meeting like the whole team in the office. And ran one of their engineering teams, and eventually, I think nine months later or so, moved into VP engineering role there. And, and you just don't—you don't waste any time. You just boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, get it done. <laughs> so, uh, like, so what was uh, what did you learn? You said you you got to a point where you realized you needed to learn some things. You needed to rely on the existing science and art of of management and leadership. Have you? Did you? find any particular resources that were super useful and uh, and how did you go about building yourself up in that way? 
Mm-hmm. So one big pillar has always been coaching for me. Um, in my time at Travis, I started working with a professional coach and I had asked around in my network and found someone who I really enjoyed working with. We ended up staying together for three years, which mm-hmm. was, a, was a really long relationship. So she also transcended jobs with me, basically. <laughs> um, wow. And um, that's been a big point part of it because I realized at some point that I needed someone to give me an external perspective in the way that no manager really could. And so for my personal growth, that was important. I mean, I'd also, I've always been a big reader and Twitter with all its faults has been a great source of information and just connection to other people. I think that's also been a period where I really realized or more, much more came into the type of leader I want to be because that was a time when I faced a few larger like, conflicts and larger value-based discussions at work, you know, about like how, what should, for example, what, I can't give good examples right now, but like larger questions that basically then tie to, well, do I go against my boss who says to do a certain thing or do I go against an employee? Where do Mm -hmm. I stand in those kinds of situations? And that because of the coaching, I was able to approach those relatively deliberately and use them also as ways to not just solve the tactical problem in front of me, but also figure out what it means in the abstract and for my value system and for just my identity in the workplace. Wow. Um, so, that, yeah. that's, pretty, that's, really... that's pretty intentional. And it, it's rare, I find, that that, uh, that folks are so intentional about not just solving the problem in front of them one at a time, piecemeal, but developing a, you know their own infrastructure for, for yeah. handling larger problems. And that's well, amazing. Uh, and and I can't believe it's, I mean, I'm hearing a woman in tech talk about the wonders in a positive way of Twitter. Of Twitter I, yeah. I have to say I'm a little surprised by that. Um, that, that, that some of the education came from things that you were finding there is a surprise to me. But uh, It sounds like I'm, you got toughened up a bit in your first experiences. And that might be one of the reasons you're able to clean, you know, glean the pearls from the absolute trash that occurs <laughs> on Twitter. There's a lot of it. And I mean, I also don't want to gloss over that experience. Cause I mean, I've, I've had it too many times, you know, I've, I've had conference hashtags flooded with men's rights active by men's rights activists during talks that I've given stuff like that. So it's, it's all, it's all coexisted. I think sure. in some way living with the, with the ambivalence is the main thing I can do. Yeah. Um, I mean, I also, I started, you know, I started my career in finance, um, which is, yeah. I think also yeah. does something to you. In a lot of <laughs> I believe yeah. that. Well, and and to those frameworks that that Rachel's touching on too. I mean, is there is there one or two that stand out in your mind as really transforming the way you think about something in leadership? Are there, you know, oh, when I figured out that these are my priorities in this space, that really affected my ability to be effective. Is there one or two things that stand out? And not to put you on the spot, but since you're here and I'm putting you on you're the on spot, the spot. Yep. <laughs> just lean into that. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So I mean, I think um, one big lesson learned was around the power of managing in all directions i think essentially because i've because i've often been in a position where i either didn't get a lot of direction or just had to essentially figure things out by myself with my team um, and didn't necessarily have let's just say the the supportive bosses that i would have wanted in my past Um, and having to having to kind of get creative and rely on my own resources and with that also I think just being really deliberate about managing in all directions and knowing, well, what do I need from the person above me? What do I need from the people around me? And then how do I pass things on? I think that's been really, really helpful. And it's it sounds so simple, but it's still something that I 
like very often still fall back on in terms of being really conscious of how I approach that. I think the other is honestly just the value of transparency. That's mm-hmm. been one that I've, I would also say I've grappled a lot with over the years because I've in including in my roles in tech, but also in prior companies, I've often been in situations where that were just dysfunctional in some ways. It's it's the modern workplace. It's what happens. So it's yeah. not an people. Leave. People are the problem. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> as we all know. Um, and so um, figuring out basically, especially when I was in middle management roles, but even in kind of upper leadership, to what degree I can be and want to be transparent. And that's sure a communication issue, but I also think it goes back so much to values um, and to how you position yourself against what's going on at the larger company, how you convey context to others, and then also to what degree you're able to enable the people around you and in the rest of the organization to make conscious decisions themselves. And so I, I do yeah. think the transparency one is is so important because it ultimately also, it's a crucial factor in deciding how effective I can be, but most of all, how effective my teams can be in their, in their roles. But I hmm. often find that transparency is also it also helps when you're in a position where you think oh I, I'm a lot of new leaders have this issue where they think they're supposed to know everything mm-hmm. and be able to explain everything that's going on above them or you know uh, that they are trying to solve a problem they don't have a solution to and they feel they can't share that they can't uh, let that have uh, that information go to their to their team there it's a lot easier when you say well we're working on this problem we don't have a solution you know perhaps you can help us rather than i am i am all knowing all seeing it just opens up so many opportunities for things to get done for things to get better mm-hmm. yeah yeah i and i i agree and i think i mean we've talked a lot about me and but one thing that i i always find important to emphasize is just that it's it's always been a team effort like none of the things that quote unquote, I have achieved, like, because in the end, I have personally done some things, but I have by far not done everything. But all of those things have only been possible because of the teams that I've worked with. And that honestly was the the second big leadership lesson that I learned from this very first bigger leadership role, um, that just so much hinges on just being able to build great teams. And to bring in the right people who are able to own things and drive towards solutions and then being able, as you just outlined, like to work with them and to figure out solutions together. And I really think that's something you can't even, you can't underestimate ever because if you're not able to empower leaders around you at all levels, no matter if they're managers or not, um, and help them have influence and help them drive change, you're going to, you're going to fail eventually. Yeah. yeah. So you've you've well, done a lot of. Oh, go ahead, Kendall. We are, we always interrupt each other and, yeah. <laughs> and force the guest. So no, it's okay. I was I'm going to change the subject. So if you want to ask a follow up question on that first, Rachel. I was going to ask about hiring. So if you were going to go in that direction, uh, perhaps, or we can get back to it later. Yeah, you can ask your hiring question, then I'll ask All mine. Right. I, thank you, Kendall. Um, I, uh, I so you were talking about building teams, and um, I wonder if you have specific approaches to that, if you what your personal philosophies are around hiring and, and, and bringing teams together that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's one of my favorite topics. So, I mean, I think, first of all, I think basically it's always, uh, you need to look at it basically across the entire employee life cycle from, yeah, hiring people, attracting talent to growing, onboarding them, growing them internally, and then eventually them maybe leaving the company and, moving on because they've outgrown what the company can offer them. And so 
I think basically the hiring never happens in isolation, which also means it needs to be integrated with as much of the rest of how you work as possible. Um, now, I mean, I've been running really fast growing organizations for a couple of years, which also means hiring is very often kind of one of the biggest things that we do just at mm -hmm. all times. And that also means it takes a lot um, of capacity in terms of time and energy dedication and whatnot from many people on the team, which is also important to keep in mind. Um, I think overall hiring, I think with that basically needs to be a holistic thing. Um, it needs, it also means having a good hiring process doesn't buy you a lot if you have no good onboarding and you can't get the people mm -hmm. that you're bringing up to speed. It's also not going to last long if you're losing people over time because they hate working in this company. Um, so that's that's one thing. The other part I would say is basically anything that makes a hiring process inclusive is a great thing to do for a company anyway. So things like um, structured hiring processes, having interviewers trained, um, having standardized interview, um, interview scenarios and interview questions, having ideally more than one reviewer for interviewers, having basically getting different perspectives on candidates by having diverse interviewer teams. There's a really, there's technically a really long list of things that you can do. And, and even if you're, I think even if you're just starting out with hiring or figuring out how to do hiring at your company, it's not like you have to do all of this at once, but things like, yeah, structured interviews and standardized processes can make a huge difference already. And so I think that honestly yeah. is one of the biggest things I've seen impact because we, We've done that for a couple of years in my current role, and I've also introduced it in previous roles. And it, it helps so much because it ultimately means that you're translating the, the value system that you have as a team, not just in terms of the values on the wall, but how you're working together and what actually matters. So you're translating that and you're finding people who add to that value system. So yeah, I hate the whole, yeah. exactly. so I hate the whole culture fit stuff i mean mm -hmm. it's so problematic in so many ways but sure. um, a former colleague of mine used to describe it as value fit and i've been using that since uh, sorry value add um there there's um, big difference yeah yeah exactly yes and <laughs> yeah exactly and so finding people who add to that and who enrich who you are as a team as a company and um, who bring different perspectives um it's it makes such a difference especially if you're building software that's being used by like a variety of people who probably don't all look like you. Um, so yeah, big topic. Definitely. Well, so talk, uh, shift a little, I mean, and thank you for sharing, first of all. I mean, <laughs> hiring is one of those complicated things that everybody spends, any manager spending a lot of time thinking about mm -hmm. and constantly feeling like they're doing inadequately. Um, so, and we can all know, do better at all times. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I want to know uh, before we move on to some other topics, like like catching up on the where you are today. Um, what does the job look like as VP of Product Engineering at Circle CI? Um, you know, what is your day to day? What are what are the problems that are fun to solve and the problems that feel overwhelming? You know, what what can you share about what this role looks like? Well, that's a great question. My first instinct was to just pull up my calendar. I'm <laughs> <laughs> symptomatic for, for where it's at. Seven hour meeting block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is I've joined, I joined Circle CI as director of engineering um, and again, made, made the leap at some point. Mm -hmm. So I joined as director and then moved into the VP role interim and then got promoted actually pretty much a year ago and thank you thank you so 
it's also, and I joined the company when it was about, I think, 130 or 140 employees. And we're now at, I think, somewhat north of 400. Wow. So the company's more than tripled in, mm-hmm. in my time here. And that's been um, more than two and, a half, two and a half years ago. And so it was basically really rapid growth in a relatively short time. And in that time, my role changed drastically because as director, I was in a position where I was in some way outside of the reporting lines. I was the first director in the engineering department. I was hired to kind of bring the the perspective and experience I have and make the department better. But I, I wasn't in the direct lines of accountability for achieving business goals, at least in the first place. And mm-hmm. um, it was basically it was a, like a scenario we tried out and then my role shifted a bunch of times. It was a big part of it also was to grow the engineering management team and help the managers grow in their professional Mm-hmm. development which was provides a structure fun, exactly exactly yeah. Yeah, building structure was basically the mission that i asked oh, wrote right. in for. and awesome. um it was really nice and then but it also meant you know the department has more than tripled in size as well in this time which meant that i had to really consciously pull myself up and especially as my role shifted i had to do a lot of work to well do that and also make sure that you know i have the team around in terms of the senior managers the engineering managers and then also the the engineers the team for me to be able to do that so at this point i spend a lot of work just on strategy which is a good thing because that's what i should be doing so mm-hmm. i was yeah. joking telling people in november that in my mind the current year was already way over um, because I'd spent so much time working on just the next year, which for us starts in a couple. Uh, living in the future. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what does well, it look like? Is it better? Can you tell us? Global future perspective, not so great. So yeah, sorry, Kendall. Go. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. There's, I, I'm optimistic. It looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. Um, but, uh, but I'm also. I was on the conversation right before this saying I am an over optimist and I know that about myself and I constantly set myself up for disappointment. So um, there's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay. Well, so a question we ask everybody on this podcast, tell us about your relationship to authority. How do you feel when you have authority over others? What does it feel like when others have authority over you? So I think power dynamics are a beast and they're, Oftentimes, especially in smaller companies, they can be really invisible and can be really hard to navigate, but they're often still there. And mm-hmm. even when people pretend that they're not, I think that's actually the most dangerous scenario. Yeah, it's like um, an iceberg, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think, I think in some ways I've always grappled with authority just because I, so I'm, I'm German. We have, we are rule followers by nature, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which like I joke about it, but in some way I've also, via learning, via working with distributed teams, I've learned that it's actually true, at least in my case, from how I socialized. Um, so I'm not, I'm not a, a punk on the inside, but it also means that I've had to learn to, you know, question authority and not just take everything I'm being told as a, di- a directive, really, not even direction, yeah. but instruction. But at the same time, I mean. Um, I respect a lot of the people who have authority over me, um, like in the workplace, but it also goes for personal relationships to the degree where that's a thing. Um, and so I, th- yeah, I think it's basically something I would say that I have a lot of ambivalence around. I think even more so when it comes to holding authority over others, um, just because 
there is obviously there's structural and through the title and through just basically the budget and any other responsibilities and authorities that I have, there is a lot of power to this role that I'm in right now, but it's also, it's a role and it's an important part of what I do and of my life now, but it's also not, not exclusively me as a person. Mm-hmm. And it also means that I have to position myself to how I use that power, how I make decisions, how I, um, well, yeah, how I use that authority that comes with it. Um, I mentioned teams a lot. So I, I do work a lot on a, I would say, collaborative basis, like consulting the people who report to me, consulting with my coach, consulting with my boss, my peers, um, just because I'm very mindful of just the damage that decisions, if done wrong, can do. And there's, we've talked about kind of values and approaching leadership kind of consciously earlier. There is also often a lot where I just ask myself, like, what type of leader I want to be, what the decisions that I make say about what I value, what what matters to me. And I find that really important because I think I don't see myself going mad with power anytime soon. <laughs> but I also think it's it's easy, especially if your organization is growing really fast, it's easy to lose perspective. Um, and so I think it's important to stay in touch and stay grounded in reality and in empathy and in understanding of the impact that decisions have and the impact that words have even. Like, I think choosing, choosing carefully what we say, the actions that we take, all of those things are also really tied to, well, authority and power and everything that relates to it. Are there, are there things that you do? I mean, Yes, there's the, I need to be careful how I say this because I'm aware of a power distance, but are there things that you do intentionally to reduce power distance with your reports or grand reports or great grand reports, however big that organization gets, you know, are, are, are there things that you go out of your way to make yourself personable, approachable, uh, et cetera? And a lot, and I, I still think I should do more. Um, so it's something that I, I think about a lot. So um, I do skip level one-on-ones on a regular basis. Um, I've always done them. I think they're really important. Um, I do um, reviews and basically specifically 360 feedback for all my reports, but also for myself and try to gather as many different perspectives as possible because I think basically my, well, and and then the, the other side of it is also like, constantly working on myself. I think the big issue is that with positions of power like that, any mistakes you make or issues that you have will easily have a ripple effect. And I think that always sounds a little bit like you're overestimating yourself, but I think it's actually true, unfortunately, even though I wish it weren't. Um, And so reflecting, very actively seeking out feedback basically constantly on everything I do, checking in with people. Um, And I mean, the prerequisite for that is also having relationships with people that allow for that. Like I'm under no illusion that not everyone will tell me when something I've done just really sucks. And sure. I, I get that. It's very unfortunate. I wish they did, but I understand when they don't. <laughs> so having having the relationships with staff who I where I know I can I can trust them to tell me when I have spinach in my teeth, so to speak. Um it's a yep. phrase mm-hmm. with a good friend now. And um but the other I think the other part is also say I use a lot of we've done employee surveys, engagement surveys. Um, other types of feedback mechanism for basically understanding just how people are feeling and how people are doing. Use those a lot um, as well as reports through my management team. I mean, at the moment, we talked about the pandemic a few times like before starting this recording and also now. And 
it's still a situation that everyone is dealing with. And we're now coming up to the one year anniversary of that. And so making sure I know how the teams are doing and whether we can do better in supporting them is a really important task that I have to take care of right now as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think basically, I think constantly tr like keeping kind of the radar up and checking in like very directly asking questions, but also making sure that there's space for people. I've done office hours a few times, um, which I actually going to restart um, basically more on an event by event or so on an event basis. Um, and we do every two weeks a department-wide meeting where you basically talk about like what's going on, important things in the organization um, to also have just FaceTime for people. Because, I mean, the reality is at this point, there was a time when I used to know all engineers in our organization. That time is long gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's just, it's, it's sad in some way, but it's also really exciting in others. And um, yeah. so it's, I think, basically coming coming from a place where people would come to me directly um like we're just not there anymore and so i need to make sure there's the structures and frameworks for people to rely on for those mechanisms to work mm -hmm. well it's it also i mean it's something i spend a lot of time thinking about the both the power distance problems but also like i mean it is your report's job to make you successful as much as it's your job to make them successful and everybody is scrambling all the time to try to cover for their leaders shortcomings because you're going to have shortcomings there's probably a lot of things you're really good at but there's certain things your team just knows you're bad at or or is trying to cover for or has you know one one person on the team that's trying to help carry that because they know Lena is good at the other things. And that's, that's again, that's not a bad thing. You can spend all the time in the world. You work on yourself trying to make yourself as well-rounded as possible. But at the end of the day, there's going to be things you're just not perfect at. And uh, I don't know. I, just, I think it's an interesting thing trying, like being aware of the fact that people around me are literally trying to compensate for my mistakes and my shortcomings and my, you know, I think I'm really good at some things and some of them I am and some of them I'm very wrong about my thinking I'm good at them. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just knowing that there's people around me trying to cover from that, uh, cover for that is, is, I don't know, humbling and a little depressing. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much organizational capacity is spent on that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, let's shift a little bit to talk about you know, you, you you said a little bit about art at the beginning, but what are the things that you do in your personal time when you're not working on Circle CI? Um, so I, I never have enough time for all the things I want to do, and I maintain a list of hobbies I want to pick up one day when I have the time. <laughs> and more structure, more structure. <laughs> so maintaining <laughs> lists is your is your hobby right now. The the list of hobbies you'll someday have. I have a list of things I'll do once the lockdown situation is over also. <laughs> oh, what's on the yeah, top of that list? Amazing. What's on the top of that list? Um, I don't remember, but I remember that I added yesterday that I want to eat really good fries because oh, I miss yeah. really good fries. You can't make good fries at home. No. I, there's all those people on Reddit talk about it in the cooking subreddits, but no, you yeah, can't no, do it. No, it's not the same. Or at least I can't do it. I'm not capable of that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So otherwise, I, I started learning the piano two and a half years ago, which has been a great source of joy. Um, mm -hmm. Very excited about that. Um, and generally, making music is good. I was going to join, try and join an orchestra earlier this year, but that, uh, sorry, last year, but that obviously didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm hoping to do that because I've played the violin and have for many, many years. Cool. And um, yeah, I make artsy things or I, I create things. I do a lot of 
that's also under the creation uh, category. I do a lot of baking and cooking, which I greatly enjoy because it's I love anything that really has good haptics and a good tactile experience. Uh, so kneading dough and cutting vegetables and things like that, I really yeah. enjoy. That's an aspect um, of it I had not really considered because I'm also a huge fan of cooking and, and the haptic part of it. I'm like, why do I like this so much? I like to share the things that I make and put you know my feeling into what I'm making. But the idea that it's about the feeling of it as well is really cool. I have to think about that. Thank you. Nice. Well, very <laughs> much. My pleasure. Happy to, to share the joy. Um, and I, yeah, I got into houseplants big time last year, <laughs> which was um, fortunately the um, buying houseplants part died down because otherwise I don't think I would have space and would have space left in my apartment but that was nice and I managed to keep at least most of them alive which was a proud personal accomplishment congratulations <laughs> thank you thank you and uh, I read a lot of books um, not never enough um, but yeah reading is a lot of fun I love nonfiction and anything that where basically people share how to live a good life I'm really intrigued by what are you oh, reading right now oh. Yeah, 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 give us or a recommendation. It doesn't or have to be what's right after, now. And I can put them in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I can I can send you some things later. I did really enjoy um, Lulu Miller's "Why Fish Don't Exist," at the intersection of biology, history, uh, really bad humans, and also personal history. It was a very beautiful book, very poetic. Oh, cool. um, I do like poetry quite a lot. Um, uh, Omar Sacker has really good uh, books that I really enjoy. And uh, another, oh, I did really enjoy, um, I have to, like, I'm turning around to the bookshelf here, which you're going to have to cut out. Which is um, arranged by color, I would like to point out. It is. It is a friend of mine I did it. I didn't notice that. Oh, my goodness. This is you colorblind, Kendall? I'm very colorblind, but when you point it out, I can tell. It is. Yeah, a friend of mine did that when I moved into this place, and it took about, I think, three hours. I kid you not, but it was very much worth it. It's, <laughs> I'm very proud of it. It's, it's cool. just a bit of a pain to maintain. I don't necessarily recommend it. I always have a stack of books sitting somewhere in a corner of shame waiting to be <laughs> exported into it by color. Um, awesome. And um, I read the autobiography of a cave diver last year. She wrote about her experience diving in caves and having a really dangerous job that basically no one in the world can do, which was Jill Heinerth is her name. Now I remembered. Um, oh, and I read the biography for um, a war photographer. It's called In Extremis, and the photographer is Marie Calvin. A wow. phenomenal book. Awesome. can recommend all of them. I'll send you the links after. So we're coming up on time here, I think, which is a bummer because I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, I want to ask you, uh, first of all, how do you do you feel like becoming a leader? Because you, you kind of did this pretty early on, so it might be a little bit difficult to answer. But do you feel as though uh, becoming a leader has affected your personal life uh, a lot? And if so, is it good? Is it bad? Is it both? I feel like I've always had an inclination towards leadership. Mm -hmm. And basically take, taking the leading group work, those kinds of things where in hindsight, you're like, oh yeah, I should have, should have noticed that sooner. <laughs> I, I Were think... you called bossy as a, as a kid? <laughs> Cause I, I, I feel that, I feel that yeah. so hard. <laughs> um, so 
I, I think I still have those tendencies basically that made me take the leading group work and I have been trying to kind of shut them down a little bit mm-hmm. and not let it bleed into my personal life too much because if I if I become a manager in my friend circle I feel like at least personally I won't have done it wrong <laughs> um, like because not your just, friends anymore at that point yeah exactly yeah, like yeah. The thing is I obviously like my job is to like, help us accomplish huge goals and like do that well and in a way that's sustainable and have fun while doing all of that. But that's not like, I don't have a job as a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I've been trying to, you know, make sure I make space for others and make space for situations to unfold. So yeah, you don't have a job as a manager of your friends. Uh, that's that I just really feel that super hard that the idea that it's and there's also a bunch of video games that are kind of like that right now as well, where you're, you're responsible for making sure everyone has an equal share of your attention or you're focusing on one person like Animal Crossing is like that. And uh, oh, anyway, um, and, and as I said, we are coming up on time, but uh, what I want to know is so that other people can find you, where can people find you on the internet? Yes, so you can find me on Twitter uh, at LRNRD and I have a website. It's lenareinhardt.com. It's my first name, last name combined. And I'm on, on LinkedIn as well with the same name still. We will, we will put all that in the show notes and also the list of books that you recommended because I'm looking forward to checking those out. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. So much. It was great. really fun to meet you and talk to you.